This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. One of the most important things we do for our health every day is brushing our teeth. Yet most of us don't do it properly. Quip is a better electric toothbrush created by dentists and designers. Quip was designed to make brushing your teeth more simple, affordable, and even enjoyable. Many people brush too hard, and some electric toothbrushes are too abrasive. With Quip, you have a built-in two-minute timer that pulses every 30 seconds to remind you to switch sides, helping to guide you to a full and even clean. A multi-use cover mounts to your mirror and unmounts to slide over your bristles for on-the-go brushing. <laughs> Interrupting my ad copy to say, like, I like the idea, that, uh, the image that that brings up, which is the idea you're just going to carry your toothbrush around, like, on the go, and, like, while you're, wa- while you're walking to work, like, brush your teeth. Probably don't do that. Don't brush in the car either. If you follow the guided pulses, you will get a good brush, a good clean, no matter where you are, even if it's literally on the go, I guess. It does declutter your sink or cabinet. It makes traveling with electric toothbrush easier. I will attest to all of these things. My husband's a real minimalist um, in the bathroom. Uh, as far as, like, having things around, he really, I, I, you know, I like that aesthetic as well. He was so happy when we started using Quip because we could put the toothbrushes, like, in the back of the mirror, that we wouldn't have to have them on the ground. It's probably more hygienic that way, too. Uh, Even though Quip toothbrushes, one of the reasons I like them is that they're gorgeous. So if you had them out, it would be fine. They look beautiful. And as I've said before about other sponsors, having something that's, that's pleasing to use, that is pleasing to look at while you're using it, makes everyday tasks a little more pleasurable. And we could all use that. And Quip is backed by over 20,000 dental professionals. So beautiful, easy to use, and dental professionals want you to use it. You can start using Quip for just $25 if you go to getquip.com slash friends right now to get your first refill pack for free with a Quip electric toothbrush. That's your first refill pack for free at getquip, G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash friends. Hi, I'm Anna Marie Cox, and welcome to With Friends Like These. It is a Rick Wilson week. If you don't already know who Rick Wilson is, you you may recognize him from his best-selling book, Everything Trump Touches Dies, or his many cable news appearances. Well, if you don't already know him from that, allow me to fill you in. Rick is a sportsman, a father, raconteur, and former practitioner of the dark arts on behalf of Republican candidates, whose role in this show is to come on and explain why Trump supporters do what they do and believe what they believe, as well as offer his insights gleaned from his still very, very good contacts in Congress. 
He is also my friend. Rick, welcome to the show. Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me. Okay, honestly, part of me just wants to sit on the floor with my head in my hands and rock back and forth. Um, nah. <laughs> nah. Rick. You know, this situation the, today, Yeah. Uh, the, 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 it's, it's, you know, victory lap part two from the Trumpers, and they're running around with their asses on fire thinking, oh, we won. It's all good. Everything's fine. Well, you know, the reality is this opened up a gigantic mountain of evidence. And as I wrote in the Daily Beast the other day, this is the tip of a big, slimy, Trump-shaped iceberg. And they think that this story is over and it's done. We're a long way from that. And I think that the fact that we have seen now a true portrait of Donald Trump on the obstruction side, um, where Robert Mueller essentially said in, the, in, his, in his own report, you know, we couldn't make a traditional prosecutorial decision. Therefore, we didn't do a lot of the things we would have done. Um, that's English for impeach this son of a bitch. Um, and, and, and he understood from the beginning there would come a day when Trump would get a friendly attorney general in there who would have the juice to, uh, to, uh, to, to stop the investigation. So he did, his, did his, as much as he could, as quickly as he could. A lot of these cases that are distributed out into the, into the various U.S. attorney's offices are going to reap stories for years and years and years to come. So, I, you know, th- th- like I said, the, the idea that Trump was going to come out today and go, oh, I'm chastened by this report. N- nobody should have ever believe that. So, well, I, I mean, I didn't believe that that was going to happen. But the reason why I am OK right now, literally in the booth, I am like hugging myself. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing a little self-comfort is because, like, I guess I've been burned so much that, you know, the, the John Oliver sometimes drops down the we got him banner, you know, like when he does something like just so clearly criming and it doesn't <laughs> seem to matter. And. You know, I actually kind of I we can have a whole other like conversation about Nancy Pelosi because I I I disagree with her on a lot, but I admire her polit- politically, except sure. don't be a fucking pussy or rather be a pussy. Pussies are strong. Do it like just there. Well, here here's my argument, and I've made this for a long time. The Democrats control of the House of Representatives right now is the greatest political leverage of all time. And it's not about impeachment. Yes. Do I think the president could be impeached based on some of the stuff we saw today? I think he could. Uh, Can you get it through the Senate? Of course not. Why would you do that? Something that means nothing to Trump. Impeachment only serves to shame people who can be shamed. You can't shame (laughs) Trump. You cannot shame him. You could catch this guy in, in, in the middle of the day, in the South Lawn of the White House, running around buck naked, chasing a schoolgirl, and no one in Trump's world would go, uh, that's unacceptable, and we have to draw the line here. Right. There is no bottom. So why would the House do something that gives Trump political power right now in terms of impeachment, which only serves to benefit Trump, okay? It will raise him hundreds of millions of dollars from the MAGA yahoos, okay? <sighs> but you've got all this investigatory power to grind his people into dust. You've got all this ability to subpoena the ever-loving hell out of these people from now until the sun is a darkened cinder in the sky. They should be using the power that they have right now, this idea that Democrats are going to win in 2020 based on policy proposals, 
They're out of their minds. <laughs> this is a referendum on Donald Trump and his personal corruption. Make it a referendum or lose. Simple option. All right. Well, you know, I'm one of those people that keeps talking about policy. So I know. It's okay. I, okay. I mean, I mean I, cool. You know what it is. It's just that I'm like a cockeyed optimist, I guess. Um, but I, like, I'm also someone that would like, I, I, I like people who put up policy papers. That's just who I am. I'm a nerd. Um, hearing you talk about it makes, does scale me back a bit, like does scale down my panic a little because I, you're right. You're right. That I, you he would benefit from an impeachment, you know, not an impeachment investigation. He wouldn't, he wouldn't benefit from that, but he would benefit from just being able to put impeachment in the subject line of an email. Right. I, I, like I said, I assure you, uh, and I've actually done some math on this, knowing what they're raising. Mm-hmm. Impeachment, I guarantee you, would light those people up like nothing you've ever seen. I mean, they would they would cash in their disability checks to to help help their president prevent him from being impeached by the deep state and Nancy Pelosi. <sighs> okay, so I think you're right that he would he would likely be. The short-term definitely beneficiary of, of yep. even talking seriously about impeachment. Here is my question. At some point, though, isn't it just like malpractice and its own form of abuse of power to not hold him legally accountable? Like, this is a quote from, from, from the report. Mm-hmm. You know, the last part of the report is basically Mueller, like, begging Congress to do something, right? Oh, yeah, oh, absolutely. Completely. So this completely. is one of one of those sections. Congress has the authority to prohibit a president's corrupt use of his authority in order to protect the integrity of the administration of justice. Like, mm-hmm. that's what's at risk here. Is like, do the laws matter? Like, he says that all the time about borders, right? Like, which is kind of weird, but... Do laws oh, matter? I think, uh, but but and, and I think we're way past the point where the people on the president's side, even they don't even nod and wink at the law anymore mm. or the rule of law. I mean, look, Bill Barr did everything today but walk out there wearing a red MAGA hat. And, there, and again, there is no longer a sense of proportionality or a sense of shame or a sense of, of, of dignity or a sense of what is appropriate, um, far less what is the law. Um, on the part of these people, and so, and so, anything that the Democrats do or people that oppose Donald Trump cannot be predicated on the thought that that impeaching him would stop anything, or or even punish anything because it can't get through the Senate. I mean, and and believe me, would I like to see Donald Trump dragged out of the White House, kicking and screaming, parked in front of a of a, of a jury, tried and convicted? Absolutely. It's not going to happen, and, and it's and 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 so because of that, you know, I, I get what Mueller's saying. I just I just recognize that you can't get to two thirds in the Senate, and that's the bottom the bottom of my you know, like expedient political, you know, read on it. But what you can do, as I said, there are ways to absolutely make this story a centerpiece of a referendum on Donald Trump for the future and for the twenty twenty election. And that, that's actually kind of another line of argument I wanted to pursue with you, which is that I briefly made my head explode and had to kind of stuff it all back in when I did the if this was Obama exercise. Like, yep. let's rewind a little bit. Imagine, Rick, you're still a Republican consultant and this report comes out about a Democratic president. Uh-huh. 
I will tell you what would be happening. Um, I would be counseling my people to draw a portrait of corruption at the highest levels of government. I would be counseling my, my candidates to do everything they could to talk about this lawless, reckless, executive order addicted, um, you know, abuser of our rule of law, our traditions, our institutions, et cetera. And, and I would, again, I, I, I'm going to say this word a lot in the next two years. This is about turning this into a referendum on Donald Trump. And if Barack Obama had done this, I mean, look, I was critical of Eric Holder because there were a number of times when Eric Holder put his finger on the scale um, <laughs> so on, on policy matters for, for, for Obama. And I look back at that now and I was pretty pissed off. Yeah. And so were every other, you know, every so was every other member of the Republican, you know, intelligentsia and the Republican political world. Right. Right now, Bill Barr in the last three weeks has done things that if Eric Holder had done it, the Justice Department would have been burned to the ground by a gigantic mob with pitchforks and torches. I mean, it, it is it is so far beyond the boundaries of what an AG should do. And there have been plenty of Democratic attorneys general who also respected the rule of law and who played it straight up the middle and who weren't crazy people. Um. But, you know, as, as Nicole Wallace said today, she had spoken to someone who knows Barr who just said, nope, he's he's fully invested in Donald Trump. It's not going to change. I mean, he is a unique figure since John Mitchell. I can't think of another attorney general who has been this lavishly corrupt. Oh. <laughs> Again, like I'm, I'm just kind of rocking on the floor because there's a part of me that I hear what you're saying. But there's just been so much to show that it doesn't matter. You know, yeah, that, like, if, none uh, of this uh, matters. That, like, I am terrified, Rick. I'm, I'm terrified. That, I, I know three things about Donald Trump after, after this experience. The first thing is that Donald Trump is always going to do the worst possible thing. Okay? Mm -hmm. He's into the, the worst possible decision, not only for the country and for the presidency, but also for himself. And so the... The ability of anyone to affect his decision-making, to change him into a better version of himself, to lift Donald Trump out of the worst worst possible impulses and towards the light and our better angels, it's non-existent. No one can do it. And and in terms of in terms of of trying to correct that behavior, I think the way you do it is you dismantle the people around him who are mm -hmm. corrupt and who are his corrupt enablers. You make it harder and harder for people to bear the burdens of, of empowering somebody who is a destructive force. Now, Republicans lost 41 congressional seats last year because they were part of enabling Donald Trump. And if the Democrats can, and I know this is like a big lift, um, can get out of their own way and not step on their own genitalia <laughs> for a couple of months, they might be able to do um, to, to frame out a predicate for 2020 that gives them additional political gains. Now, they're probably not going to gain a lot more in the House. They might pick up seven or eight in the House, but most of the low-hanging fruit is already gone. But this is the big year for Republicans in the Senate. They're 24 seats up for Republicans. And if Democrats are smart, They'll be focusing on putting the political pressure on those guys by bringing the political pressure on Trump. And, yeah. you know, but again, it's always the predicate of are Democrats smart about politics and uh, and, uh, you know, QED not. <laughs>
<laughs> that has been our our traditionally our weakness as it you know grabbing defeat from the jaws of victory, as I believe someone once said. If you're listening to this podcast, I am like a thousand percent sure you know who Jamel Hill is. You should know her if you're listening to this podcast. She is a sports expert. She's a political junkie. She's a social media BS detector. She's also quite funny. And she now has her own Spotify original podcast called Jamel Hill is Unbothered. Every Monday and Thursday, you can catch her and her two co-hosts, friend of the pod, Michael Arsenault and Cole Wiley, with their insightful and entertaining hot takes on the day's top stories in news, sports, politics, music, and other important issues, like why the best parties are the ones you sneak into. The podcast guest list will also include some of the biggest names in culture and entertainment. They're leaving that, I guess, intentionally tantalizing in the ad copy. Anyway, Jamel Hill is unbothered. She's awesome. You can listen for free only on Spotify. I actually was thinking about Article, the furniture company, who is also a sponsor of the show. Not uh, two hours ago, I was using a piece of Article furniture. I was sitting under a reading lamp that we got. I was knitting, as a matter of fact. And I was sitting in our bedroom knitting under this lamp. um, And I was thinking, why didn't we do this earlier? Why didn't we get this, like, cool, minimalist piece of uh, lighting that will enable me to indulge in my knitting here in the bedroom, which is normally not very well lit. That's super personal, but I think illustrates like the pleasingness of knowing exactly what you want from a furniture company and then getting it. Article has lots of great stuff. Like we bought light fixtures because they're kind of a cool and easy way to change some areas of your home uh, without like having to move a lot of furniture. But they have almost everything. It is beautiful, well-made, Scandinavian simplicity. It's modern, minimalistic. It is also online only. And by eliminating all the layers of traditional retail, Article is able to keep their prices low and their quality high. There are no showrooms, no salespeople, just savings. And no matter how many items you buy, every order is shipped at a flat rate fee of $49. You need help getting set up? Article has options for in-room delivery and assembly assistance. Article is offering our listeners $50 off their first purchase of $100 or more. To claim it, go to article.com slash friends, and the discount will be automatically applied at checkout. That's article.com slash friends to get $50 off your first purchase of $100 or more. I'm Oren Siegel, and I've been fighting extremism, anti-Semitism, and hate for more than 20 years. You should subscribe to our podcast, Extremely, to get a unique perspective on the daily work and the people who have dedicated their lives to exposing, fighting, and disrupting extremism, anti-Semitism, and all forms of hate. We bring you the stories of people and communities not only impacted by hate, but who offer new perspectives and ways to push back. You can find Extremely wherever you listen to podcasts. So let's go back to like if if this had happened with the Democratic president, as you, you know, you, a Republican operative, what you have done, you talked mm-hmm. about you would, you know, talk about corruption at the highest levels. You would make clear like the rule of law has been disregarded. Right. I'd be sure my candidates were asking the other side's candidates every day. Do you agree with the president, you know, manipulating the justice system? Do you agree with the president um, trying to, you know, uh, you know, trying to get away with 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 this whole spectrum of behaviors? Um, that are that are outlined not only in this report but in his everyday uh, political behavior. Do you believe the president is an all powerful figure? You know, these are the sort of things that 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 it will take candidates out in the field, out in the world, 
pushing those questions onto their opponents to begin to get some political momentum and political uh, elevation uh, with that. But my question is, does that model still work in the era of Trump? Does appealing to the rule of law? Oh, sure. Listen, listen. <laughs> it, it, it works. It works on people who aren't named Donald Trump. Oh. I mean, Anna, think about this. At the end of the 2018 election cycle, Republican candidates for the United States Senate across the country spent a total of somewhere between 12 and $14 million on ads that said, I support pre-existing conditions for health care. Yeah. And they were put on defense because Donald Trump had so completely fucked the dog on, on, on the Affordable Care Act. And it doesn't matter what you feel about the Affordable Care Act, the politics of the Affordable Care Act, pre-existing conditions was always the killer app. It was always the big kahuna. It was always the thing. And when we did some research on this for a, a, a major conservative organization in 2009 and 10, we went back to them and said, guys, if they get this to be a discussion about pre-existing conditions, we will lose and we will lose for a decade. Mm. And sure enough, you know, it became that discussion in 2018. You know, Donald Trump is immune to many of the forces that shame and and, and push Republican candidates, but those candidates are not. And mm. they still live in the actual world. They're not reality TV cartoon stars. They're not, they're not this gigantic celebrity avatar. They are ordinary people who have to go into states, including a lot of the states that are up in the Senate in 2020, are fairly purple. Yeah. These are not all easy lifts. And we have learned, you know, from 2018 that Trump's uh, contagion only works in a negative way, right? Like that's your book. <laughs> yeah, there is there is nothing. There is nobody out there in a purple or or blue district in any swing district. Okay, unless right now at this point it's like a hothouse flower of you know, as I like to say, ass crack Arkansas or some you know R plus fifteen you know, gerrymandered district, everywhere else, these guys do not run as Trumpers. Mm-hmm. And everywhere when they else, do, it, it doesn't it, work Everywhere very else, well. they're up the middle. Right. I mean, it's, and it's, it's even guys like Matt Gates in Florida, okay? Maybe a red district, but it's a purple state. Even Matt Gates is out there saying, well, yeah, we have to face up to climate change. Yeah, we have to deal with, you know, marijuana and criminal justice reform. And so there are plenty of ways to to separate them from the herd coming up in 2020. I can't believe like you're making me feel better. Like that's not what I expected. Um like so, so often our conversations turn to this, you know, oh no, our republic is crumbling, what are we going to do? Um but there is a way in which this report actually is heartening, I guess. Like reading that last few sections that go through the rule of law, that go through like the ways that Congress can act as a check and balance. You know, is, you know, you and I are, you know, Constitution stands and I know old fashioned, right? Yeah. And that was really I mean, it, it does almost literally warm my heart to be like, look, there's someone here explaining. Unfortunately, you know, they're using two big words probably for Congress, but explaining like how this is supposed to work. You know, like this is supposed this is we have a solution to this corruption. And it, there is a section, I mean, you know. Full disclosure, the report's only been out for a couple hours. I did a, a skim. But there is a section that talks about his associates and other employees of the executive branch and how Congress mm-hmm. has the authority to investigate and perhaps criminalize their actions. 
So there, that's that's in line with what you're suggesting, and it is true. <laughs> like the other thing that that might happen, which I, I guess you're sort of alluding to this, is that if you take his enablers out of the picture, if you keep on making him rely on on his family, for instance, mm-hmm. he's going to do something monumentally stupid, even more stupid than what he's already done, right? Because one of the Correct. scariest things about the report is the degree to which he would talk to someone who works for him and tell them to do something, and that person would walk out of the office and be like, nope, not doing that. And thank Correct. God, you know, but he he's basically was enabled and protected by his employees. And if we take, who, who I would argue, and I think this is in the Mueller report, who I'd argue then sort of abetted a kind of obstruction by not doing what he said. But if we take those people away, then what happens? Listen, things that can't sustain themselves don't sustain themselves. And we've already seen that this is a White House that is basically run on on his daily impulses and his daily Twitter feed and everything else. The, there, is no, there is no real government right now. There is no real... You know, I mean, even when they do like an executive order on something, it's because of some particular interest segment inside the White House. You know, Stephen Miller, it's like, we got to cage more kids this week. And so they'll sign something or or these idiots who are running his trade policy will, you know, get themselves into a into a fat fest over, you know, wanting to get China to bow down to us and they'll issue some, you know, a statement. But there is no policy direction to this government. There is no th- theoretical d- direction to this government. Mitch McConnell is naming judges. It's not the White House, mm-hmm. okay? And and the individual agency guys are doing things to pay off their friends um, at, at every different level. Uh, like Mick Mulvaney in the payday loan industry. That's not about Trump. That's about these guys that are out there at the, at the B tier of the of, of of the White House. So if you start taking chess pieces off the board and you reduce the number of people that that have these, the tolerance level to work for him, you're going to end up with more and more and more of these guys who, you know, you ordinarily wouldn't hire them to work in a Waffle House, much less the White House. No, take that back about Waffle House. Hey, I love Waffle House. Okay. All right. Just I'm we want to be sure we're of, like clear. Uh, like, dedicated I think it fan takes... of the, uh, the anchor of civilization in every storm. Right. So, I mean, I think they probably have some standards. Do you think Stephen Miller could get a job at a Waffle House? I don't. Personally. I don't, honestly. <laughs> or he'd, he'd work there for like a week doing dishes, and it, and then it would be like, no, this guy's too this guy's too rough on the edges for us. I'm sorry. <laughs> we got some guys just coming out of maximum out of out of maximum security prison. They're, they they really make us feel better than Stephen Miller. And they deserve a second chance. This guy, <laughs> <laughs> the baby cager, you know, like maybe not. Um, so I actually so so I want to ask about the, the 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 long game here a little bit, which is that are you somehow maneuvering by telling me all this and telling me like I this is going to be okay by by following this path? Are you setting up a primary challenge for Trump? Like, is that what you really want, Rick? Look, right now, Bill Weld is the only person who's like a, a significantly named individual who's primarying Trump, mm-hmm. who's a serious, you know, relatively serious person. I've known Bill a long time. He is a lovely man. He is a moderate Republican of the old school. Um, and and I think that he will irritate Trump significantly. Um, and I do take a lesson from the Pat Buchanan world where when we when all of us Bush guys were like, oh, Pat Buchanan, pff, what the, whatever. 
Um, and then Buchanan was an irritant, a thorn in our side for months and months and months. And it and it ended up dragging away just a fraction of the Republican vote into sort of a grumpy Perot, Perot style frame. And sure enough, Perot came along and ate our lunch with a bunch of these working class Republican voters. Well, I don't know that you end up getting the same playthrough with uh, a Bill Barr. I mean, Bill Barr. Yeah, Bill, Bill Weld. Barr, t- totally Sorry. different. Woo. Yeah, yes, Bill Barr for president <laughs> um, with a Bill Weld. Um, but I think it will irritate Trump. I'm not working for Bill Weld. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I like the guy. I've known him for a long time. He's he was a great governor, uh, and he's and he's a, a Republican of the old school. Um, you know, a, a pro-choice Republican from New England. They're, you know, that's a that's like a unicorn these days. Um, but I'm not I'm not planning to work in Republican primary politics as of this point in 2020. Let's put it that way. All right. So speaking of primaries, um, you're saying that 2020 should be a referendum on Trump. Mm-hmm. But we have a field of Democratic candidates, the most plausible of whom seem determined to do this policy thing. It's it's actually yep. it's sort of the wild-eyed ones that seem less plausible to me that are that are saying like Gillibrand basically is is that's all she's doing is saying this is a referendum on Trump. Yeah, like, I mean and and as 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 much as I I've never liked her. And not as a part, not on a partisan basis. There's just something that's kind of fake about her in, in my whole like obs- observ- uh, observational window for her. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure she has some fans, but uh, you know, I never quite got this vibe about her that that it was real. You know, it was always a little too cagey. But maybe mm-hmm. uh, maybe not. Who knows? But look, I, I think the biggest problem in the Democratic field right now is is the attention space is divided between 379 candidates. <laughs> And and that's even before Biden gets in, right? Um, and and I I think every day Trump wakes up, I think every single morning Trump wakes up and goes, "Oh God, please let it be Bernie." Yeah, because Bernie is the is one of the best possibilities for them to create another frame for Republican voters that it's a binary choice. You may not like Trump, but at least at least it's not Vermont Lennon. You may not like Trump, but at least it's not an 80-year-old socialist college professor from 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 Bennington Community College. Yeah. I mean, as you know, like my politics probably align with Bernie's more than most of the other candidates, but I'm I'm wary of him as well. Um in this particular oh, I think Bernie is Trump. I think Bernie is is Trump re-election insurance. <sighs> and I think Bernie would play out like Walter Mondale played out in mm. 1984. Well, hear, I, hear me I mean, out on, on this yeah. analysis, which is that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I actually do think Bernie would have done well if he had been the nominee in 2016. Um, I do think that was, you know, a revolt election, right? Although it was also just a really weird election with two, you know, widely disliked candidates. So who knows? I don't think this is going to be the same. I don't think that if you have two revolutionaries or two radicals running against each other. Right it'll work out for the most obnoxious one. And I think that, because I think that's what you have with Bernie versus Trump, is you have two people who both want to upset the system, right? But it's Trump that's the real disruptor. And he's the one who has the most dedicated fan base. Yep. I think you're going to need someone that can talk about the rule of law in a plausible way, mm-hmm. that can help help people feel like, okay, someone's someone's going to actually steer the boat. 
know? Yeah. And I, I mean, to, we, we can drop Bernie after this, but um, I think one of the things that, that Bernie is going to have an enormous problem with is that Bernie does not activate one of the most crucial demographics inside the Democratic Party. African-Americans do not have what we say is a great love for the Bernie. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the guy could not be more white. Oh, and That's and, not why and, they don't like him. I mean, but, oh, I know. And, and there are a host of other reasons why Bernie has never built any capital in that community. Yeah. I think it's hard to do that and simultaneously, you know, uh, frame yourself out as somebody that can win nationally. Well, it's funny that um, you mentioned that because I, I, I think we've talked about this before. Like, I think that it is a fool's errand to try and get the, the mythical, like, Obama Trump voter in 2020. I mean, I guess there are literally some Obama Trump voters, but I, I don't think that we should try to be competing on the ground of appealing to those people. I think the way to go is to get the people that didn't vote in 2016, which is a huge group of people of color who turned out for Obama in droves. Mm-hmm. And, and if they come back, Democrats will win. That's that's yep. just it. They will. It's just it, it's true. It's true. Um, I will say this, though. Everybody's got to remember you're not. It's not called the demographic college. It's the electoral college. <laughs> and no matter how much people on the left and the Democrats right now want to talk about reforming it or getting rid of it or say it's a horrible artifact of the distant past, the fact of the matter is in 2020, the election will be decided in the electoral college. There is no other option. That is the only game in town. Now, in that regard, we look at the states that Trump should not have won and did. And those states are Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Florida. Let me give you some real talk. Ohio is trending more red. It's one of the few states that's really breaking red at a lot of different levels. Now, if they had turned out African-Americans, different story, but woulda, coulda, shoulda. Wisconsin and Michigan are these unbelievably beautiful opportunities for a They're Democrat gettable. to They're gettable. They're so gettable. Yeah, beautiful opportunities for a Democrat to go in and win on win on being the party of of uh, of of keeping promises and of job creation because right now the promises Trump has made to those states were bullshit. There aren't new steel mills. There aren't new coal mines. Well, also Wisconsin turnout Milwaukee. Yeah. That turnout in Milwaukee just plummeted in 2016. Uh-huh. And so yep. you you can go to Wisconsin and you can do you can speak in a in a tone that appeals to both rural whites and urban people of color, I think. Yep. I think. And then you look at Michigan, Detroit, Detroit, you should you should be able to turn out Detroit, you know, and you know as well as I do that the numbers here, you would not have to have gotten very many votes in either Michigan, Wisconsin or Pennsylvania out of those urban centers to right. we would be center, talking center about. Center City Detroit was d- down significantly in 16 and Oakland County was up. Huh. Well, yeah. what do you do about that? <laughs> <laughs> so I, Macomb I, I, County, excuse me. I, I almost want to like just not talk about the, the field in general because – I think it'll just make me mad. Um, well, I'll tell you what. I, I, I've said this a lot to folks recently, and, and I and I would encourage Democrats. You know, they all there's sometimes some pushback. They're like, "Well, you're a Republican. You just want us to pick the moderate." No, I don't. I don't care who you pick. I'm not trying to change your ideological viewpoint, but I'm always going to tell you the unvarnished, no bullshit truth about politics. And part of it is, unless Democrats recruit and get a generational superstar. And both Bill Clinton and Barack Obama were generational superstar politicians. Okay, they were 
exceptional. Both of them were exceptional. But right now, Democrats are saying, oh, I want this ideological fit first. That's their like biggest thing on the thermometer. The highest point that they want is they want this perfect ideological match. My argument is not that ideology isn't important. Sure, whatever. But what they really need is to understand that this isn't just an election. This isn't a policy competition. This is a reality television show. And unless your candidate is absolutely outstanding on television and absolutely outstanding as a communicator and absolutely outstanding on social media and absolutely outstanding on getting in Donald Trump's head and staying there and making him play D, then you're going to end up with, you know, the Democrat will get up on stage during the debates and say, well, my 16 point plan on climate change and Donald Trump will make a fart joke and the game will be over because that's the game. It's reality television. It's shallow. It's stupid. It's horrible. And yet, you know, the nerdiest guy in the room, you know, Pete Buttigieg has, has got some, he's got some, he's got some style and he's got some, a little uplift right now. Um, but, you know, is he going to take on Trump without seeming, you know, nerdy or sanctimonious? Who knows? Is Beto, you know, the unbearable lightness of Beto going to be able to sit on a stage and, and you know, whip out his RFK style talking points and then have Trump again, like make a dick joke? Because that's what Trump did in the debates against every Republican and against Hillary. He, he vamped and he, and he grunted and he made his little faces and he did his little gestures. And, and, you know, the reality show that's being played out is not the one that people think is that they're in. I just want to say again, this is not intentional, but I am, I am wearing the sponsor, the other sponsor I have today, which is Third Love. Uh, Third Love makes bras and it is very a cool company for many reasons. Uh, my personal favorite things about them include the fact that you do your fit finder online. There's a quiz. Uh, you don't have to go to a dressing room and have someone handle you. Uh, and also, they have probably the widest selection of sizes of any bra manufacturer in the country, the world. They have 70 different sizes, including their signature half cup sizes. And they go from like A to like triple G. I'm probably getting that one wrong, but very, you know, all of the sizes, all of the sizes. I discovered actually that I am a half cup size, which I wouldn't know if it weren't for Third Love. And it is true that I have some of the other bras that are just regular sizes, but the Third Love one fits me the best. You should try it. If you are a person who has a need for bras, I highly suggest you go to Third Love. They have a 100% fit guarantee. Every customer has 60 days to wear, wash, put through the ringer, as it were, the bra that you get. If you don't love it, you return it, and Third Love will wash it and donate it to a woman in need. This is hands down the most comfortable bra you will own. The straps don't slip and they are tagless so there's no itching in the back. Lightweight, super thin memory foam cups mold to the shape that you have and are proprietary to Third Love. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone, so right now they are offering my listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com/friends to find your perfect fitting bra. Again, that's 15% off your first order. thirdlove.com/friends. Do you know what the worst sound in the world is? It's your alarm clock if you haven't gotten enough sleep. No matter how much you love that song on your phone, when it wakes you up in the morning, you just want it to stop. I won't even get into like the idea that you're using an alarm. I use an alarm when I know I have to wake up because, you know, the alarm will grate, unlike the song. 
And I have been hating my alarm lately because we're dealing with some issues with Exley, our dog, who has figured out how to wake us up in the middle of the night. It involves ringing the bell that he uses to let us know to go out. I won't get into it, but it has meant that I am having trouble waking up in the morning. But imagine this scenario. The surface temperature of your bed gradually adjusts to wake you up gently and naturally without the sound of an alarm. Imagine waking up rested and alert. This is not science fiction. This is the new pod by Eight Sleep. And I know there's like a thousand ways that this wording could go wrong, but I'm going to struggle through this. The pod by Eight Sleep is a high-tech bed designed specifically to help you achieve optimal sleep fitness. And there's a reason why Time Magazine calls Eight one of the best inventions of the year. It combines dynamic temperature regulation and sleep tracking to enhance your rest and recovery. It learns your sleep habits and adjusts the temperature automatically. That means if you like the bed cool and your partner likes the bed warm, now you can have both at the same time. And no more alarm clocks. Imagine being woken up by a feeling rather than a sound. That does seem more natural. Tripod for 100 nights, and if you don't love it, they will refund your purchase and arrange a free pickup. They have already sold out of their first two batches. They are going fast. For a limited time, you can get $150 off your purchase when you go to 8sleep.com slash friends. That's $150 and free shipping at eightsleep.com slash friends. One more time, that's eightsleep.com slash friends for $150 off your first purchase. Well, if it's a podcast recording day, I am probably wearing something from Stitch Fix. Today, it is a very cool kind of pre-distressed t-shirt. And now that I think about it, I believe my jeans are also from Stitch Fix. And I figured out before on an earlier podcast that the reason why I am wearing Stitch Fix on podcasting recording days is not because I'm like, oh, they're a sponsor and I should wear their stuff. It's because these are the clothes that I have that are suitable for leaving the house. My life is such that I am very fortunate. I do not have to leave the house a ton. And so I tend to, you know, like, if you can just wear pajamas all day, like, why shouldn't you? And I do, which means I have kind of gotten out of the habit of buying stylish clothes. Fortunately, I have Stitch Fix. Stitch Fix is an online personal styling service that finds and delivers clothes, shoes, and accessories to fit your body, budget, and lifestyle. You can get their services by going to stitchfix.com friends. You tell them your sizes, what styles you like, and how much you want to spend. You will then be paired with your very own personal stylist. You get a note from them when they put your package together. They will handpick the items and send them right to your door. You then try them on. You keep what you like. Send back in a you know, shipping envelope what you want to return. There's no subscription required. You can sign up to receive scheduled shipments or just get a fix whenever you want. The styling fee is $20, which is applied to anything you keep from the shipment. Get started now at stitchfix.com slash friends, and you'll get an extra 25% off when you keep all the items in your box. That's stitchfix.com slash friends to get started today. Stitchfix.com slash friends. I want to push back on a couple of things. One is that I think Democratic primary voters are actually pretty realistic. And you and I and a lot of people in media confuse the Twitter Democrats with like actual no Democrats. Doubt. No doubt. No doubt. No doubt. So I think that there is a, probably a pretty good case that the Democratic voters are thinking in the same way that you are. I think ideology is still important for a lot of people, especially on specific issues like gun control. I know that we won't talk about that. 
but that is important <laughs> to Democratic primary voters. Climate change and health care is another one. But I think the reason why Pete Buttigieg is getting this boomlet is because he has some of that um, – presence that you are talking about. And most yeah. importantly, oh, no. well, let me finish my sentence. Let me finish this. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> most importantly, and I say this as someone who's met him and interviewed him and read his book, I am positive if there was some kind of weird, you know, glitch in the universe and Donald Trump disappeared and Pete Buttigieg was dropped into the Oval Office with the same staff the same, you know, people around the White House, mm-hmm. the same Senate, the same House, he would be able to do that job. Like— uh, I think so. I think so. And and that is, like, th- that level of competence and that level of, like—and the, the reason I think it's important, I want to emphasize, I think he could do it even with that staff, is that I think he's been able to demonstrate— I think from his experience as mayor, and if you read his book, this will come out, which is that he is a person who knows how to build political capital and spend it, and he doesn't doesn't worry about working with people he disagrees with. Well, I think, and again, I'm I'm intrigued by him because he's one of the first candidates in a long time um, who's actually kind of smart. Oh, he's he's um, well. He, let's like Elizabeth Warren is no slouch. You know, I mean, no, but. look, she's not a slouch. And, and, <laughs> and the reason I'm short Elizabeth Warren stock is is that I get this Mondale vibe coming off of her yeah. where she's good hearted and well-meaning and, and has good policies, chops and all that other stuff. And again, dick joke. Mm. Um, you know, there was a there was a 1984. There was a, a editorial cartoon in the last couple of days of the campaign. And it had Walter Mondale standing in front of a blackboard with all these formulas and charts and, pie, and and graphs on it and policy bullet points. And next to him at another bullet blackboard was Ronald Reagan with a big smiley face on the board. <laughs> and and that's what that's what I get from Warren is that like earnest, smart, you know. Uh, and, and there are things that she's not. There are things that she that that sound. Like you know, liberal government interventionist stuff. That's actually a th- that actually may be a salutary response to some of the crony capitalism and regulatory capture mm-hmm. that my party has enabled. Oh, definitely. You know? I think some of, like she, her her like agriculture plan is really interesting mm-hmm. and cool, and she has a plan for everything. There's actually a T-shirt that she sells that says Warren has a plan for that, and it's her best <laughs> and worst quality, right? Um, right, right. I, I do think that there's something about. Mayor Pete, that again answers that yearning that people have for like someone who's going to be the opposite of Trump, the complete opposite, right? Right, and and could he be the referendum candidate? Maybe, maybe. Um, and and I think he's proven, as I said, he's got a certain level of agility. He's proven it with some of the uh, interviews he's done, and with some of the hecklers he's had um, that that. He's got he's quick on his feet. He's an obviously smart person. So that may be and look, and Trump is obviously not a smart person, but he's got a feral <laughs> cunning and a guile about him right. that you can't underestimate. So, you know, I I think that that Trump supporters would lose their minds over over Pete uh, for a lot of reasons, mm-hmm. his sexuality being the biggest. And and I think that would lead them into some very bad political water. So I I think that that would not hurt him, 
you know, the, the, it's amazing how far our country has come. And as you, you and I have talked about this a million times, I've been the Republican in favor of gay marriage for 20 plus years. You know, I was never one of the, you know, God squad guys who who, who thought it was, you know, lake of fire stuff. But, you know, I think that I think that his the 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 sheer domesticity of his marriage in comparison to Trump is kind of fascinating as a political moment in the country. They're sweet. But I, I do they're think the evangelicals couple. will look at that. They're you know, they're a sweet so. couple. And also I will say that um one of those interesting moments in my interview with him is I asked him when's the last time you prayed and he had an answer for me right away. Good for him. And he has talked about his faith in a way that there's been this sort of the buzz about maybe it'll appeal to evangelicals. Well, evangelicals, that's they're not about religion anymore. So <laughs> No, oh no. I don't, no, no, no. I don't I think mean, that's white evangelicals, I should say. Are not really about religion anymore. But I think that his ability to talk about it actually appeals to some progressive voters, you know? Like just to be able mm-hmm. to hear someone articulate a moral vision. And I think you and I have touched on this in the past. There is a there is an un an untouched progressive faith community out there mm-hmm. that isn't the cliche like, oh, they're all a bunch of raving atheists who want to bring Satan worship into the schools or whatever. Uh, it, no, it, there's there's a, a faith, a progressive faith community out there that I don't I think Obama may have touched it somewhat. Um, but Bill Clinton was much more of a sort of stock, you know, Southern Baptist style, you know, uh, figure than than than. Obama. But yeah, I think Pete does touch on that on that community a bit. Um, I can't believe this turned into a Pete Buttigieg discussion, but I have been wanting to talk about him. And you're like my husband, who is my focus group of one, says Pete doesn't seem tough enough. Which uh, that, I'm trying I'm, not I'm to not, read I, as a as a as a as a something about his sexuality. I think no, I think, no, I, I'm I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that that you know he comes across as very considered. Okay, mm-hmm. and very thoughtful, and you have to play that scenario. Remember, reality TV show mm-hmm. that you play that scenario in your head, and he's on the debate stage with Donald Trump, and and Trump capers around like a monkey and is saying crazy shit. Uh, and lying completely and goes after him in these personal terms, you know, does he have the chops to eyeball and skunk eye, tr- skunk eye Trump and say, Mr. President, the, the God's truth of this is you're an asshole. And that'll be that, that's enough out of you. And does he have that kind of strength? And we'll see. Yeah. Um, so I'm in a better place than I was when we started. <laughs> well, I'm happy to I'm happy to help my friend. <laughs> I am no longer, you know, wanting to sit on the ground and rock back and forth. I'm no longer hugging myself. Look, this is a bad this report is a bad thing for him. <sighs> this see, is a this is the door opening. Uh, you know, the, they didn't win the war today. Yeah. I agree. And I also I think that again, there is a lot of sustenance to be taken from it just if you actually read it. The description of how the law should work <laughs> is is great, you know. Like, this is how it's supposed to work. And it's an instruction booklet that we may Mm -hmm. or may not follow, but it is good to know that the instructions are there. And I think that you're right. I do want to—I did think of something about—in terms of making this a referendum on Trump versus policy. I don't think it's necessarily either or, because I think one way that it's about—one issue that is both policy and referendum is just holding people in power accountable. Mm Mm-hmm. And you can say that about Trump. You can say that about, let's say, opioid manufacturers. 
You can say that about healthcare companies. You can say that about uh, industry that leaves your town. You can say that, that that is the way to position all of these arguments in a way that I think is both hold that guy accountable, that particular asshole accountable. Mm-hmm. And here are the other ways in which I'm going to stand up for you against these powers that have only been enabled by the jerk. I, I, I think you're right. And I think, you know, and you step back and I hate the, I hate the, that's how we got Trump uh, framing. But this country has for a long time had two political parties in DC who were mm-hmm. very comfortable taking care of lobbyists who wrote their campaigns, big checks. And, and that that they were this uniparty in DC that they weren't necessarily, um, you know, driven by any sort of civic virtue anymore, and this loss of faith in Congress and loss of faith in other institutions has ramified out into the into the country at profound levels. No one trusts anyone when it comes to you know, do you trust uh, you know Congress? No. Do you trust the White House? No. The judiciary, maybe a little bit. The military, somewhat more. But this sense that everything has sort of become untrustworthy and and unaccountable is enormous as a political driver in this country, on the right particularly, and in the center particularly. Um, and I think it's an opportunity to get out there in 2020 because you've got a guy who is making it worse, who's exacerbating the problem every single day, who's building this tower of bullshit higher and higher and higher where people can't trust anything. So I think it's a, I think that's a political opportunity in the 2020 election. I'm going to say it right now. I'm going to put a flag in it. I think in some ways this is an election about faith. Oh, I think so too. Oh, I, I agree. I, I agree. I mean, it is it is about it is about a choice of the direction of the country. Um, in, in terms of you know, are we going to be good people, or are we going to be the people that that go out and satisfy every vengeful and shitty impulse in human beings? And and Trump's promise to his base is always, I'll get your revenge for you. You can do whatever you want as long as it's in my name. And I think there's an opportunity here to, to, to offer Americans something a lot better than that. That seems like a good place to end the conversation for now. Okay. Thank you so much for coming back. Of course. I'm delighted as always. So there's another crime that Trump has consciousness of guilt about, but I haven't seen mentioned much as a factor in Trump's behavior lately, is another reason why he seems to believe he can get away with anything. He is an admitted sexual assailant, and we just don't talk about it. I was reminded of this because it's it's sort of in the Mueller report. On page 58, they say something about uh, the Access Hollywood video. They say it was expected to adversely affect the campaign. And then there's a footnote that directs you to candidate Trump can be heard off camera making graphic statements about women. I have crossed that out and put candidate Trump can be heard off camera admitting to sexual assault. Because that is what that tape showed. Every time we're given a chance to honor the experience of the women who survived Trump's assaults, and we don't talk about it, we're sending a message to all survivors. Your experience doesn't matter. Don't bother to tell anyone. And we're sending a message to assailants. You can get away with it. So I just want you to know, dear listener, I remember. 
I will create consequences. You matter. I believe you. And it is never too late to get support. If you or someone you know or love has ever been the victim of sexual assault, you can contact RAIN, the Rape, Abuse, Incest National Network, online at RAIN, R-A-I-N-N.org, or online at 800-656-4673. Please, take care of yourselves. I'm Oren Siegel, and I've been fighting extremism, anti-Semitism, and hate for more than 20 years. You should subscribe to our podcast, Extremely, to get a unique perspective on the daily work and the people who have dedicated their lives to exposing, fighting, and disrupting extremism, anti-Semitism, and all forms of hate. We bring you the stories of people and communities not only impacted by hate, but who offer new perspectives and ways to push back. You can find Extremely wherever you listen to podcasts. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.